So I grew up um, in really a, like a perfect home, I'm not gonna lie, um, in a little town in the Panhandle called Amar uh, right near Amarillo called Perryton, Texas. You guys know Perryton? <laughs> That's what I thought. Uh, so I had a really great childhood. Um, my dad was a hardworking man, a good man, uh, a really strong man. In fact, you know how when you were a kid and you would always argue with your friends, well, my dad could whip your dad? Nobody ever said that to me, right? And I think it was because their dads told them not to say that to me. And my dad was all about um, doing what was right and doing the moral thing, and he was all about family. And I remember that we lived there till I was about seven, and when I was going into first grade, my sister was a year older than me, and my dad like pulled me aside, you know, you're a man now, because I'm going into first grade, right? And so it was, um, you know, here's what I want to tell you, when you go into school, you know, your sister's there, and we're family. Family comes first. So like if your sister's ever in a fight, I don't care who's right or wrong, right? You're in the fight, right? If your sister's in the fight, you're in the fight. I don't care if there's 100 kids attacking her. And I thought to myself, what kind of school is this? <laughs> She's eight years old. I got, got a lot of gang problems in Perryton Elementary. What's, what are we talking about here? But that was, that was him. It was all doing the right thing, standing up for family. That was my dad. My mom was awesome, perfect, perfect, loving. Oh, she, she taught my Sunday school class. I mean, she was just constant. You know, she was just always, she was reading to us and playing with us and cooking for us. My mom's a great cook. And I'm telling you, at our house, dinner was on the table at 5.30 every single day. And it included all the four food groups, um, bread, something fried, <laughs> gravy, dessert. So we had them all. Uh, and healthy, healthy lifestyle. And the Sunday after church, it was pot roast and the little carrots and celery and the little potatoes and jello. And jello doesn't even count as your dessert. And this is what I feel sad for the youth of today that they don't know about jello salad. That's a way that it's. That's salad? This is awesome. So yeah, and I had a sister uh, that was a little older than me and we would take turns setting the table and when it was her turn to set the table, it was my turn to clear the table and we took turns praying before we ate until my baby brother got old enough to start doing that and our house was just the best. Everybody had around our kitchen table, you knew where your chair was and you sat at your chair at the table and my room was decorated with NFL football stuff. And we left the bathroom light on at night. We weren't scared, but just to make it easier if you had to get up at night or something. And sometimes all the kids in the neighborhood would come to our house in our backyard and we would run relay races across our yard, which at the time I thought was like a football field. And it was actually not as big as a stage probably, but I was kind of a fat kid, and so I was really slow, but I never lost a relay race because my dad was always on my side, and my dad was super fast. And we had an alley behind our house where we would catch frogs and ride our bikes, and that's how we would walk to each other's house. And then if you ended up at somebody's house and it started getting cold and dark, then their parents would just bring you home. And it was, I'm six years old, and we're just going all over because everybody knew each other, you know? Everybody loved each other. And in fact, 
As much as the kids played outside together, the grown-ups played inside together because everybody had those little square card tables. You guys remember those? And they would always go, oh, dominoes or um, bridge or whatever, and they were always having these little get-togethers. And every life was just nice. You know, it was just really sweet, and it was just really simple. And it's like the worst thing that ever happened would be if you like skinned your knee or something, and then my mom would put a Band-Aid on it, and you get a cookie, and everything was okay. And then on Fridays, we could stay up late, so we would play a game, or we would watch TV, and then Saturday mornings was um, cartoons in pajamas and Fruit Loops, and the house smelled like pine saw. And I just loved our family, and I loved our house, and I loved our neighborhood, and I loved our rooms, and I loved my seat at the kitchen table, and I didn't know it at the time, but to me, that was the perfect home. And then, one time when I was about six or seven, uh, my mom and dad took my sister and I to my aunt and uncle's house to spend a couple of days for something, I don't know what, and they, they had a nice house, and they were nice to us, but their food did not taste like our food. And their beds didn't smell like our beds. And they had a dog that was chasing me and trying to bite me, and they didn't do races in their backyard, and they didn't leave the light on in their bathroom. And it just, it didn't feel like our house. It didn't, you know, my family wasn't there, you know, and I didn't know their rules. Do I have to clean up after myself? Is it okay to ask for seconds? You know, I, I didn't, I just, it wasn't, it wasn't, it just didn't feel like home. It was nice, it was nice, but it just didn't feel like, it wasn't home, you know? And then I had an older cousin, so I'm six or seven. My cousin was maybe 13 or 14 at the time. He was super mean. Uh, and the first night we were there, my aunt told him, you go in there and kiss your cousin goodnight. And so he came over and gave me a kiss and leaned over the bed where I was going to sleep and told me, I'm going to kill you in your sleep tonight. <laughs> so there was that. But it was, I mean, other than that, it was, it was fine. It was, it was fine. It was pretty, it was pretty nice. It, and my aunt and my uncle really tried to make us feel at home. But as nice as they were. This is 55 years ago. I still remember thinking, I just want to go home. Where things are like they're supposed to be. Where my mom and dad are, where things are simple, and where things are normal, and where things are nice, and where things are safe. And I remember crying and my aunt asking me what was wrong, and I didn't know. I just felt like out of place, I guess. And I don't, I don't know, I didn't know the word then, but now I know what I was, was homesick. And, and this place just wasn't, something in me at six years old knew this isn't home. And I don't even know if I knew what was missing. I, I just knew I wanted to be home. And lately, I've had that feeling again. And it might be because I'm getting old. But I just see this world is so messed up. I read the news, 
And what is it? It's another school shooting. It's another suicide. It's another cancer diagnosis. It's another hurricane in Haiti. It's another bombing in Jerusalem. It's another corrupt government leader. It's another corrupt church leader. The UN says that about 25,000 people starve to death every day. And about 10,000 of those people are kids. And supposedly, humanity is evolving. Remember, the Beatles told us it was getting better and better, right? We're supposed to be getting kinder and gentler and more humane. But there are actually more slaves in the world today than any time in history. And according to A21 Ministries, there's about 41 million people in labor or sex slavery right now around the world. And a lot of them are children. Human trafficking is a $150 billion a year industry. I mean, it's an industry. It's an in, human trafficking. They're, they're selling people. And it just feels like we're growing further and further away from each other and further and further away from God and further and further away from what's good. And it seems like what's, what's good is treated like it's bad. And people glorify evil as if it was good. They make, they make shirts for children, for toddlers, that say, I'm a porn star, or I'm a gangster. And meanwhile, porn is what's driving human trafficking. And gangs are recruiting children to kill each other. Parents are telling little girls that the only way they'll ever be happy is if they try to become a little boy. And parents are telling little boys that they're actually little girls who are doomed to be you know, miserable their whole lives unless they mutilate their bodies and convince people that they're girls. And that's being accepted. And it's not just being accepted, it's, it's being embraced, it's being that's celebrated. And I don't, I don't, like, I'm not giving up, it's not that, it's just I feel like I did at my aunt and uncle's house. Like I wanna go home. And it's not back to Perryton, Texas. And it's not back to my childhood. I don't know where it is. Have you ever felt like that? The world's getting so much worse. Everything is just so ugly. And this world is so unfair and uncaring and hateful and dirty. And it just feels like it's not supposed to be like this. Do you ever feel like I'm homesick for a place I've never been? I don't even know what home I'm talking about, but it's not like this place. And I don't know what that home is. I don't know what it is that I'm missing, but I know there it's safe, and I know there it's happy, and I know there things make sense, and I know there that people don't betray each other, or hurt each other, or kill each other, or sell each other. They love each other, and they help each other. And what's good is celebrated as good. And people don't die. In fact, they really live. 
And in that place, there's order and not chaos, and there's peace and not fighting. And everybody wants the same thing. And the thing they want is good. And I think we all feel that. And, and you know what's happening? We're homesick. But it's not what we think about. It's not for a return to the simple days of our childhood or something. It's not grandma's house. It, we're homesick for a place that we've never been. You're homesick for the home that God created you for. You're homesick for the home that God created for you. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote a great book called Mere Christianity. Great quote in this book. He says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. So a baby feels hunger, well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, well, there's such a thing as sex. But if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. This broken world is not our home. We were not, we were not designed to live in what Colossians calls this kingdom of darkness. And so here, we will always feel like a fish out of water, right? And that expression means a lot to me now because my grandkids have started fishing, right? And I don't know if you've ever had the blessing of taking young kids fishing, but like fishing is not fishing for me. Fishing is untangling for me, right? Fishing is putting the bait on the hook and taking the fish off of the hook, right? I do all the work. They have all the fun. That's it. And then now I'm trying to get them, okay, well, you guys are going to start taking your own fish off, right? And so you know what happens, right? They try to take it off. They lose it. It, you know, fins them or whatever, and they drop it. And now the fish is flopping around, and here's six or eight of us, you know, oh, grab him, grab him, and we're trying to grab him, and what are we, he's gonna, he's suffering, you know, he's gonna die, what's gonna happen? Ryan's trying to kick him back in the water, and this poor fish is just, just, he's not, he's not doing what he was created to do, right? He was, he's supposed to be swimming, and jumping, and eating, and making little fishes, and instead, he's flopping and flailing around and just trying to survive, and there's only one thing that can save him. He needs to get back in the water, right? He needs to be where he was created to be. He needs to go home. And the reason we're so upset with this world, and the reason we can't get content and satisfied and comfortable in this world, and the reason we feel such despair at the pain and the suffering and the hate and the injustice of this world, the reason we're flopping and flailing around trying to survive, let alone thrive, is because we were not designed to live in this dark, hateful, ugly kingdom of darkness. We were designed to live in the kingdom of God. That was the original plan. Um, can I tell you guys a story you already know? Just take a second. It's the story of the Bible. So um, Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, when we say the word heavens, probably what pops into most of our heads is one of two things. Um, the first is space, 
right? The final frontier. That's like, boom, there it is. That's heavens for a lot of us. And for others, it's maybe this ethereal place where there are like, like waterfalls and rainbows and chubby angel babies playing the harp or whatever. That's, that's, like, that's the image we have in our head of the heavens, right? And then when we say the earth, I mean, all of us get the same image. When I say God created the earth, it's the blue ball, right? I mean, that's, that's, we know, we know what the earth, and there's nothing wrong with those images. That's, that's our understanding of the heavens and the earth. But we have to remember, we've said this a lot around here, the Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. And it was written to a group of people that lived thousands of years ago on the other side of the planet that didn't have that picture in front of them. And so these words of heaven and earth meant something different to them. In fact, um, I'll draw it for you. I'll draw it for you. That's why I have my whiteboard up here. What a coincidence. It happened to be here today. Um, So for them, their picture was heaven was a lot simpler. Heaven's just like what's up there, right? It's God's space, yeah? And then earth is just what's down here. That's it, dirt, right? This is, this is man's space. And so there was a problem with the world. Um, God created the heavens and the earth, but it was, it was chaotic and it was empty and it was covered with deep, dark, scary waters. It was unfit for life. Uh, Verse two of Genesis one tells us that the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then over the next five or six days, God did like a total home makeover, right? He separated the water from the land then he separated the water above from the water below. Uh, he made mountains and oceans and the sun and the moon and the stars and plants and fish and birds and livestock and wild animals and ladybugs. And at the end of each day, God saw that his world was good. And then on the sixth day, he really got on a roll. Um, this is verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings. Now this word human beings in Hebrew is the word Adam. Adam. It means humans, humanity, human beings. So let us make humans in our image to be like us, and they, the humans, will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the animals that scurry on the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So this is not just the story of a man named Adam. This is the story of humanity. Verse 28, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign it, reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry on the ground. And God said, look, I've given you every seed bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. I've given you every green plant as food for the animals and the birds in the sky and the small animals on the ground, everything that has life. And that's what happened. And then God, verse 31, looked over all he made and he saw that it was very good. And the evening passed and the morning came, marking the sixth day. And then chapter two kind of retells the story of creation. 
and the plot kind of thickens. So in chapter two, we see this, like if I took man's space, right? This is what's below, this is the earth, man's space, and now we're looking at it like this, I'll fl- kind of flip it up for you, okay? So now there's, there's this, here it is, this, this is the horizon, right? This is the land, and rising up out of the land was a mountain. Does that look like a mountain? You know, I'm doing my best. Does it look like a mountain or not? Thank you. And coming down from this mountain, there are four rivers. See those rivers? And then right here, there's a special spot. There was a mountain right here. And inside that mountain, there was a special spot right here. And that spot was called Eden. In Hebrew, it means paradise or delight. And in that place, in that place, it was a place where God's space and man's space overlapped. So God and man were together. It wasn't just God in heaven and man on earth. It was God and man together in this, in this holy, perfect garden with these amazing rivers and these amazing trees. And God was the king of this kingdom. And man was, I don't know, like prince, managing partner, like assistant manager or something. And, and God had created this beautiful world, right? And he, and he entrusted man to rule and reign over this perfect kingdom. That's the world. That's the kingdom. That's the home that mankind was created for. And everything there is, you've seen the pictures, right? of Eden, everything there is, is, is perfect. And, and death and war and hate and cancer and slavery hadn't been thought of yet. And the best part of it was man was in full communion, not just communication, right? Full communion with God. Man was completely dependent on God for everything. Food, water, beauty, work, purpose, life, everything. And I, don't, I mean, it's hard for us to even imagine a world like that, right? A world with no sin, with no hate, with everybody was together and God was providing everything. We had a perfect relationships with each other. We had perfect relationships with God. That's the kingdom of God. And that's the home we were designed for. And that's what we're all homesick for. And when we try to excel, when we try to achieve things, when we try to fight injustice or heal disease, when we try to find joy, when we try to find peace, when we try to find God, or when we feel that despair about our world, it's because we're craving that world. We're craving the kingdom that we were created for. With me so far? So now, we gotta get through the whole Bible, so. We're in chapter two. Uh, 
Now, the plot really thickens because God loves mankind so much that he wants for man to experience something really amazing and really different that no other creation has. He wants man to experience real love. So God doesn't program mankind like a robot to automatically love him back. He doesn't program mankind like a robot to just do everything God wants him to do. Instead, he gives mankind free will to choose God or not. Because otherwise it wouldn't be love, right? And so God desperately wanted mankind to experience real love. So man had a choice. He could stay in the, in the garden kingdom. He could completely trust God and depend on him for everything. Life, breath, and beauty, and purpose. And for God's definition of right and wrong. And God's definition of good and evil. Or he can reject God's kingdom. And he can try to provide his own love and life and breath and beauty and purpose. And he can choose his own version of what's right and wrong and what's good and evil. And the illustration that the Bible gives of that choice is in the fruit of two trees. So man can either choose the tree of life and all the other trees and eat from them. That means he's choosing God's way. Or he can eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil which means he can reject God and his kingship and do everything on his own, including creating his own version of good and evil and right and wrong. And God told him up front that if he chooses that, if he chooses that tree, then he would surely die. And that meant not only that he would eventually die physically, it also meant that he would be separated from God and from his kingdom. So the choice before man was literally choosing life with God in the garden kingdom, or choosing death, separated from God and his beautiful kingdom. And now the story gets a little weird with this um, talking snake um, who tempts man into rejecting God's kingdom and life and choosing his own way and to treat his own kingdom and decide for himself what's good and evil. And the snake convinces man that if he does make that choice, that that would kind of make him God of this world, and man is not strong enough to stand up to the temptation, and so he sins, and he chooses death, and so let me see if I can draw this. Probably should have practiced all this before I did it. Um, So now here is what we had originally, we had God's space and man's space, right? And then in Eden, what happened? We overlapped them, right? God's space is man's space, but man had a choice. Stay there or go. And when he went, what happened was God's space became separated from man's space. And truthfully, the rest of the Bible, dot, 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 right? The rest of the Bible is God working towards bringing his kingdom here, right? Bringing us back together so that God's space and man's space is the same space. How, how would you say we've done with our space? <laughs> Scale of one to 10. Zero, okay, so our space stinks. Um, but the rest, the rest of the Bible really is just about God creating this way that we could bring God's space and man's space together through a new humanity, 
right, through a new, a better Adam, a better Adam, a Messiah, who would be the assistant manager that Adam couldn't, and who would choose God's ways over his own ways, and who could stand up to sin, and who could stand up to Satan, and could stand up to temptation. And for thousands of years, God's returning kingdom was like this lingering promise out there. And the Old Testament is full of these prophecies about the Messiah coming, right? The, the better Adam coming and reinstating God's kingdom so that God and man could be reconciled and reunited in this place of delight, right? This place of paradise, Eden. And God would provide all that we need and love and life and breath and purpose and order and harmony and joy. And where good would be good and where evil would be seen as evil. That's the kingdom we're homesick for. That's that feeling. I was thinking, like, why is it so upsetting to us that people are starving in Somalia? I don't know any of them. Right? Why does it bother me so much when I read about trafficking? Why does that upset me so much when I read about another crooked church leader? Why does it bother me so much that they're having earthquakes on the other side of the planet and in a war in Ukraine? Why does that bother us so much? And it's because we're homesick for where we belong. And that stuff doesn't belong there. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom that God's people have been waiting on for thousands of years. And it's a kingdom without sin, and it's a kingdom without disease or demons or snakes or crippling diseases or blindness or death. How do you like the story so far? Have you guys heard this one? So this, where we're at in the story now is the problem, the problem is there, right? God's space is divided from our space, and the promise is there that someday he's gonna bring Messiah, he's gonna bring this better Adam that is going to correct all of this stuff and he's gonna bring it all together and that's where the Old Testament ends. Like with this lingering promise of Messiah coming and bringing God's kingdom and God's space to our space. And then the New Testament. So this is Matthew 3, 1. It says, in those days John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching and his message was, Repent of your sins, turn away from your sins, and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So John had come to put out kind of a pre-event notice, right? like a save the date kind of deal, like get ready, because we're fixing to reverse that, right? We're fixing to go back to this thing that you're homesick for. We're fixing to go back to this place where all this upsetting stuff doesn't happen and doesn't upset us. And the, 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 the new kingdom is coming. And its king is coming. And he will turn us around. And he will change us. And he will make us better than Adam. He will make us kingdom citizens. And when Jesus came and was baptized, like God announced, do you remember what he, he was baptized and the voice came down from heaven and just like announced, this is the Messiah. This is the one. This is the chosen one who would be king of this coming kingdom. And then right away, Jesus goes into the wilderness, right? Why? To prove that he is the first man that can stand up to Satan, that can stand up to sin, that can stand up to temptation. And then he went to work. 
Um, Matthew 4.17 says, From then on, Jesus began to preach. What was his message? Repent of your sins and turn to God. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is near. From that day on, Jesus announced the kingdom. It just, as I've been getting ready for this series, it just occurs to me, I don't know why we don't talk about the kingdom more. Because it's almost all Jesus ever talked about. Right? It was the main topic of his teaching. I mean, you know, you go to a Bible church, you know the Bible. How many times did Jesus say, the kingdom of heaven is like, right, a hundred times. Such is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is not about this, it's more about that. How many times does Jesus say that? In fact, I did a search of Jesus' words in Matthew. So this is just the book of Matthew, just in red, and it's really shocking. Um, Not one single time did Jesus mention donuts. Now, one time, but he does mention church three times. Um, He talks a lot about love. He mentioned love 15 times. Um, He talks about forgiveness a lot. He talks about forgiveness 19 times. He talks about the kingdom of God 55 times. More than love, forgiveness, church, and donuts combined. And he didn't just talk about the kingdom coming. He went around like undoing what Satan and temptation and sin and Adam had done to God's good world. Because that whole mess with the snake, that brought in sin and that brought in sickness and that brought in blindness and that brought in death and that brought in demons. So as Jesus is talking about the kingdom, he's going around like undoing all that stuff. So he's forgiving sin, and he's giving sight to blind people, and he's healing sick people, and he's raising the dead, and he's casting out demons. Jesus came to announce the coming of the kingdom of God and to show us what the kingdom could look like and to show us what its citizens could be like and show us and make a way for a broken humanity in a broken world to become citizens in his kingdom. And it's kind of weird, like the way he talks about it, because like in this passage, he says the kingdom is near. And in other places he says, the kingdom is here. And then other places he says the kingdom is coming. And so like remember in Matthew 6 when he tells us how to pray, what does he say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your, your kingdom come. And may your will be done in our space, just like it is in your space. Because when it's fully come, when God's space and man's space are fully together, It's beautiful. And when that happens, we won't be homesick anymore. Because we'll be home. John describes it in a vision that he has. This is Revelation 21.1. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, right, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband, and I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home 
is now among his people. And he will live with them, and they'll be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain or homesickness. All of these things will be gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne, who's that? Who's that? Jesus. Jesus is on the throne. He says, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it's finished. This is where it's weird, right? Is, is it here? Is it coming? Is it starting? Is it finished? He also said, it's finished. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life, and all who are victorious will inherit these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. And we won't be homesick anymore, because we'll be home. Um, if, you want to have, if you want to have some fun, who's up for something weird? Just real quick. If you want to have some fun, this week, read Genesis chapter 1, and Genesis chapter two about four or five times so that it's really kind of stuck in your head. And then, then read Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22. And with a pen, circle any similarities you see. Circle any like common phrases or images or ideas that you see between those two. And you're gonna see something really interesting. They're both describing the same thing. It's literally the beginning and the end. It's the kingdom of God. It's where God's space and man's space are one space. It's a, it's a, it's a perfect world. It's paradise. It's, it's Eden. It's home. That's the world we're homesick for. This is the world you were created for. This is the kingdom. And for the next several weeks, we're gonna talk about this kingdom and who its citizens are and how you can become one and like, what does it look like to live in this tension of living here but being citizens of God's kingdom? and how we can be part of expanding his kingdom and how he can even bring his kingdom here through us and how we can have like some little samples, right, little tastes kind of of God's kingdom here while we work and while we pray and while we wait for his kingdom to fully come. So I hope you'll come back. Now that you've heard the whole story of the Bible, we'll go back and kind of fill in some of the blanks over the next few weeks. Okay? Okay? Okay, let's pray. Um, God, thank you for this world that you've created. And I'm just, man, we're homesick, right? We, we look at the world around us and it's so broken and there are so many things that are so upsetting to us and we recognize that the reason we're unsatisfied and uncontent the reason we feel so distraught, we, we feel despair about this world around us is because this world is broken. And it's because this world is not our home. 
So God, I just thank you for this promise that you've given us that someday your kingdom will be fully come and you will dry every tear and you will make all things new. And we look forward to that day. But God, we wanna know more. We wanna be citizens of your kingdom. So over the next few weeks, I just pray that you'll show us how to do that. What does it look like to be citizens of your kingdom? And how can we like expand your kingdom here? And how can, how can we experience a little taste of your kingdom in this broken world. God, thank you for the promise that you will someday make your space our space, that you will truly be fully with us. And we look forward to that day and we thank Jesus because we know he's the one that makes it happen. It's in his name that we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. God bless you. Thanks, man.